0: Well, hello. How's everybody doing? <laughs> uh, our good friend Ian Runkle gently hit the turn off stream button. So I hope most of you that were with us before can join us on this new part two stream. And Ian, I see you. You didn't need to do this, brother. I knew it was a mistake. That's OK. I've been making tons of mistakes this year. Is this the right button? <laughs> Canadian $50 super chat. You didn't need to do that. I really appreciate it, though. I'm hitting all the wrong buttons today. Ian, it is a-okay. He was mortified when he did that and he cut off the stream. So uh, you know Ian didn't mean to do it. And there are so many buttons on this thing. And end stream and leave studio are right next to each other. And I don't blame him one bit. These things happen. God knows I've hit a lot of wrong buttons this year. Uh, So Ian, I hope you don't feel too badly about it. Thank you very much for the super chat. I do really appreciate it. But hopefully you can get a nice, relaxing rest the rest of your day. Thank you so much for jumping on with us. And uh, Tom, we're going to get to your number nine now, I think. I have to make sure I can find it because I have to go and put these back together.
1: And Do we have the, the pre- uh, like digital equivalent of the sign on the door of the previous stream that's like, oh, we're in the different room?
0: I pinned a comment, I think. But if somebody could check on that, that would be great. I'm hopeful that that did happen.
1: I don't know how any this works, of course.
0: uh, Yeah, so the previous chat will be closed, but I tried to pin a a message to the other, to this stream now, in that chat. But that was all just behind-the-scenes fun from everybody, so we don't need to worry about that. That's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about a game that was actually being discussed in the prior chat just before we moved over, so... I saw someone ask, and I apologize that I don't remember who it was, has anybody played Against the Storm? <laughs> has anybody played Against the Storm, Tom?
1: Not that I know of. I, it's, I've heard of it. Um, oh, yeah, yeah it's against your number the storm- nine game of the year. Against the Storm is my number nine. Um, uh, this is another one of those that it, I played a lot in early access, and I actually then, so I have the typical I've actually I've formed the habit now of playing an early access game long enough to know that I like it and then not touching it until it releases um, because I fall into the trap of playing it too much in early access and then never actually jumping back on uh, and enjoying it at its, its 1.0. Uh, Against the Storm is, is uh, fortunately, one of those that I think is not going to be a victim to that, but is close because when it first came out, I loved it. Uh, when I first got an early access, I was like, "This is amazing! Uh, this is so cool! Like, it's like a, it's basically like an infinite city builder, in that you can just like keep doing it. And the challenges, because of the way the duck thing works, and because of the way that the different biomes work and all that, it's like constantly giving you different challenges to try to overcome in the city builder framework. And I just, I think it's brilliant, to be honest. Um, so, and what's the I- premise of the game? basically it's a city builder um roguelike kind of thing so you get a certain number of cards when you start a level that are the buildings that you can build and then you'll get more cards which are different buildings that you can build and you have to figure out how to kind of structure your economy around what you've got um at the same time you've got these three different species that are living there actually it looks like there's a fourth that i don't know anything about but There's three, at least initially, of humans, beavers, and lizards. Um, And in addition to trying to get your production chains working and building things that you need, you are also trying to make them happy. Um, Because the ultimate goal is to fill up this bar that I'm just going to say is reputation. I can't remember exactly what it is, but you're trying to fill up the blue bar and not let the red bar fill up. Um, the red bar is just basically going up over time, but you occasionally can push it down by completing missions, which is kind of the big core of what you're doing. Um, you'll get so the idea is that you're a viceroy or a, some like colonial viceroy, you're going out and founding these little towns. Um, and you get orders from the crown that say, We need this stuff, or we need you to explore more glades, or we need you to uh, house this many beavers for this long, or whatever. Uh, and by As fulfilling you that, you get rewards. They progress you up the, the track of finishing the level, which then gets you more cards, which lets you build more advanced production chains, and so on and so forth. The fun part is, because it's randomized there, you won't always have that production chain that you love. You won't always be able to make things the same way. And they get around that by making it so that their recipes are modifiable. You can basically say, oh, you can make that meal with eggs, or you can make it with meat, or you can make it with vegetables, or you can make it with this. It's depending on what you have access to, you can you can hit it from different directions. Um, and if you have none of them then you, you just have to change your strategy, like or you have to figure out how to trade for the goods that you need using what you have. It's very clever. Um, and then the there's a meta to it which is you're constantly progressing up a chain of the citadel. The the idea is basically in against the storm is every so often the world just gets wiped out except for this one city called the Smoldering City, where everybody hides when one of these storms happens. And then when the storm recedes, they build stuff out again, and then it happens again. Uh, So you're constantly progressing the Smoldering City to give you just general, more powerful stuff, but also access to new technologies and buildings you didn't have. Um, It's just it's great. I love it. I highly recommend it if you're into the city builder genre.
0: Um, I like its graphics. It's got a lot of style. The little beavers run around and chop the wood in a very beaver-like way. Not that I've seen bipedal beavers in real life. All the
1: beaver chopping wood that Rick has watched.
0: (laughs) uh, The lizards have their own needs. And I I like that it has that kind of Sim city got to keep the different citizens happy in different ways or Anno type approach to things. And I like that it's small, right? So you're building a bunch of these different towns in various different areas of this world because there's a magical storm and you have to try to survive it. So it's got patterns within the small game. It has a meta board game type approach at the top end. I really like against the storm a lot, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I haven't played it as much since it released either. I essentially got it on early access, which is a rarity for me. I don't get a lot of early access games. And then I said, uh, that's a game I want to try when it releases. And when it came out and released, I wasn't able to go back and do the tutorials that I had done like a half year before. So I had to figure out how to work that through the saves, and I haven't gone back and done it yet. But I like Against the Storm. If you like city building at all, it's city building with a more gamified approach of survival on top of the normal city building stuff. And I think it's a a good choice for a lot of people. And it's a very attractive game.
1: Yeah, survival. There's there's also a survival aspect to it, like the frost punks and the banished of the world where you have to kind of manage food and, and keep people happy enough that they don't start leaving. And so there's there's that as well. Also, if you're really into beavers and city building, I recommend Timberborn. board.
0: <laughs> All right. Yeah, I didn't know that was an option, but I appreciate it, Tom. I appreciate it uh and yeah I, I like your number nine i knew of its existence before it was on this list so that's always a nice feeling i'm sorry bio prototype i just didn't know you existed before it's not you it's me <laughs> uh but
1: no it's cool bro. Bio Prototype. The i'm storm. sorry the steam you know the steam it's just an endless well in terms of how deep you can go so
0: back to rick's list the list you're all gonna vote for at the end of the show starfield and dave the diver already on there what's my number eight It's Dead Island 2, uh, which is maybe a little bit unexpected for folks that follow what I like mostly. It's not an RPG. It's not Japanese. It's about bludgeoning the undead with various uh, weapons that you've either found or created. But I enjoy this game so much, and it captures that kind of Sam Raimi, um, Deadites Everything is super bloody and ridiculous looking because of that. It's not realistic. You're not ever looking at it and saying, oh, that's just horrific because you're going to hit this guy with this hammer and like his whole jaw is going to come off and it's all in a satire of like Southern California. So you're going through Santa Monica or you're going through, I think, Bel Air is the first area. I assume this is Venice Beach. uh, This... This is Venice Beach, I think. Yes, you can see the dude bro, right? He's, he's steroided out. I was
1: going with Venice Hot Dog and Venice Kitchen.
0: Uh, I see, yes. Well, also that. Uh, and you have to make your way through what they call Hell A, because <laughs> they're marketing, um, and defeat zombies in a very responsive, physical first-person combat engine. So it, it they'll react to where you hit them, that you might take dead skin off, uh, and it's all over the top and grotesque, like the best kind of horror, in my opinion. Uh, and it's funny. It's well-written. It's it's kind of bite-sized. The, the open world, such as it is, is very manageable. There's only so many places you can go, so it doesn't become overwhelming. It's not a Ubisoft game. Uh, but uh, I found it to be very enjoyable and a little bit underrated by a lot of people this year, honestly. Uh, and so if any of that sounds like fun to you, uh, Against the Tide, this is not one for the kiddos. Uh, but it is a lot of fun.
1: This is the best. This is the family friendliest image Rick could find after a very exhaustive search. <laughs> Do not play this with anyone under the age of eighteen. Uh,
0: I like it a lot, uh, but it is yeah. It's it's not for the kiddos. It's not a kiddo game. It's not family friendly. We could try to remember to mention that uh, Dave the Diver is fine against the storm is fine. Starfield's fine. Starfield can get into things, uh, but you'll see him coming. Um bio prototype, I assume is fine. I don't think there's like <laughs> nothing that I'm aware of that there's gratuitous anything. violence cutscenes. No. Yeah, so uh I, I recommend Dead Island too. I, I like the, the, the puns being recommended for my use of bite size. Yes, the zombies do like to bite, so bite size, I think, is is an adequate reference to what are kind of contained, wide linear levels, slightly open world, slightly linear. Um, and it's, it's just a, it's just a great game that was delayed forever. So I'm, I'm also surprised at how much I like this game and how well it turned out. So Dead Island two is my number eight game of the year in a very good gear for video games. Tom, I know you played a bunch of Dead Island two. I'm guessing you didn't like it as much as me, but what would you have to say about this game?
1: Um, I feel like I liked it for what it is. Like it is just a fun kind of like zombie smasher. Um, the violence is like ridiculous. Like you said, sort of Sam Raimi humorous and hyper violent. And it's like, cool. Um, but like after I left, I didn't think about it again.
0: Yeah, no, it's very much, uh, the, the the Pringles or Cheetos of video games, but it is fun while you play it. And it does exactly what it says on the tin.
1: You will smash zombies with things (laughs) such as that hammer.
0: Right, and you will craft things like this hammer. You can add electricity to it by strapping a battery to it, and then it'll electrify the zombies. And if you have an electric weapon, then you can create pools of water and then throw electricity at those pools of water, and they'll all electrify. And you can have very fun things with elements and zombies and heavy weapons.
1: Nothing is more visceral than the spear, though. If you're looking for real visceral zombie killing, get a spear.
0: I think if I recall correctly, when Tom was playing it around me, he really enjoyed the Wolverine claws.
1: Oh, costume
0: Wolverine claws and attack the yep. zombies.
1: Highly recommended there for just ridiculous cartoon violence.
0: <laughs> but I really, really liked Dead Island too. And I just don't think it got enough attention this year. So I wanted to make sure it was on my list. And I'm not surprised it isn't on other people's lists. I'm not going to say anything about the rest of your list. It might be on Tom's who knows. Uh, but <laughs> I want to make sure that people knew that it existed because it was a really good game this year.
1: The Claw Fist is a good call, though. Definitely, I know you like that one. That one every time we did it, I would like gasp because it's like ridiculous. It is.
0: And I don't know if you saw this, Tom, but uh, Mrs. Hoglaw is calling me out in the comments
1: here. I did. I did. I called her. I I tagged her because she said, "When did you play this?" <laughs>
0: Uh, She did, and I can't keep up with all of these at once, so I am thankful for everybody that's commenting uh, to her, and I'm glad that she's in the chat here. I'm glad she found her way to the second stream, honestly, Uh, but yes, Dan Rodriguez asking the important (laughs) questions. What does Pringles of video games mean? You know, like it's just a snack that isn't going to fill you up. It's definitely not your meal. Uh, and honestly, when you're done with it, you don't feel any more sated necessarily, but you enjoyed it while you had the little can in front of you. It's a Pringles, you know. Once you pop. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, I uh, I really enjoyed It Island 2. And I think more than some folks. But let's see what Tom's number eight is.
1: Mrs. Hoaglaw also. The, this was one of the door closed games just because there's a lot of... And squishy noises and it would not not be appreciated by the rest of the house.
0: That is true. We do sometimes close the door. Um, Tom's number eight is a game called Phantom Brigade. What in the world is a Phantom Brigade, Tom?
1: Oh, Phantom Brigade. I'll tell you what, it looks like XCOM. Phantom Brigade is so good. And uh was uh another one that I played a lot in early access that came out this year. Um, if anyone has played either the frozen synapse Frozen the football one or uh, I think there's like one other but basically the idea is that the turns are planned and then they play out so you you pick and it's like five seconds at a time so you say my guys are going to move over here and do this and the other team says their guys are going to move over here and do this and then it resolves and based on like who's in position and where they're looking is who gets shot and who doesn't well Phantom Brigade takes this and one puts it in mechs so that's automatically like a plus one and then second the way that it actually plays is it's pve it's a player versus environment you're fighting against ai uh on a campaign to like free this country um and uh the trick is instead of everyone planning at the same time you get to plan after they do five seconds at a time so you're fighting these overwhelming odds but you can cheat by basically being able to know what they're going to do and then counter it. Um there's still like like I said you're you're put in very at odd situations, like situations that you're the they're very clear underdog as a way to balance that out. Um but anytime you pull off a good maneuver, it feels good. You can and and similar to like the Frozen Synapse or any of the games that do these like 5 seconds at a time thing, you can watch it all play out at the end in, in the like 2 or 3 minutes that that battle was and it looks amazing. Uh, I love mechs. Um, oh, and these are like—I um, don't know what the right description. These are not mech warrior mechs. These are light. They're skidding around and like skating and jumping and, and doing crazy stuff. They're not like full-on Evangelion, but they're—they're they're definitely more agile. They're not like a mech warrior or a or a you know more of those like really heavy industrial. These Front guys mission. are skating around. Front mission. That's a good one.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think of this as an armored core when I think of skating around, so. Phantom Brigade, folks, and it it, it has an XCOM format. Certainly this is an XCOM-like screen.
1: Yeah, so you're putting your, guys, your squad together and you're customizing all these with the weapons that they use and the pilots that are in them and what the pilots are good at. Um, and so, yeah, you'll go on a mission and you'll pick your squad. Uh, is And that's the xcom of it. Like you're getting these missions, they're sort of randomly generated. You put your team in to go resolve it. And well, if your good. pilots die you you can lose them but they're not as they're not like uh XCOM people where like one loss is like severely uh affecting but you can also have because they're mechs you can have losses that are not you know full right like it's like oh they blew off this arm that I uses this weapon that I found like five battles ago that I really like and I can't actually manufacture um so you can have like m- smaller losses without like, some, like complete reset
0: Fair enough. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm sorry that this is a squad kind of uh, glory shot here. The shots I could find of the gameplay of this were nonsensical to understand from afar. So I went with the, the XCOM mech standing in a line uh, screenshot. But Phantom Brigade, folks, I assume that's just PC?
1: Uh, yes, I believe that is accurate. It would be very hard to control on a controller, I think, but that doesn't mean that they didn't try.
0: And safe to say that if against the tide found herself in front of a television playing the PC that this would be okay for the family.
1: Oh yeah. It's, it's all um, robots and tanks and there's no like person violence at all.
0: Good. All right. Well, thank you for that, Tom Phantom brigade. Another game I haven't heard of before. I'm glad it's on your top 10 games of the year. All right. Let's see what my number seven is. We've got Dead Island 2, Dave the Diver, and Starfield already. And I'm going to add to it Sea of Stars in my number seven spot. Folks, when I show you the screenshots of this, you will understand exactly why I love it as I do, which is to say it is an homage to the glory days of Japanese role playing games, which of course were the 1990s. Sea of Stars takes its cues from games like Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy and and, uh, Secret of Evermore and other Squaresoft games from the 90s era, uh, but adds to it a modern coat of battle techniques and ways to explore the environment that didn't exist back then. All in connection with a cool little story about moons and suns and solar energy and lunar energy and trying to survive in a world that doesn't like you very much. Um, So all the things that I love in a graphical style that is second to none this year, in my opinion, especially for somebody putting together an RPG, uh, and I think it is one of my favorite kind of JRPG revival games. You hear me mention these a lot on these videos. I really liked Chained Echoes last year, um, and I've really liked games like Cross Code before that, and other things that kind of take a new approach to 90s RPGs. Sea of Stars is the purest of these kinds of spiritual successor remakes type games, but I don't want to say anything else about the story or otherwise because there are surprises to be found and it is a fairly robust RPG, even if it's not as long as some of the other things that are going to appear on this list or have already appeared in in the case of Starfield. Tom, did you play Sea of Stars? How far did you get in it?
1: I did not. I watched you play it. I'm interested in it. I, de- I, I will probably play it. Uh, it seems like a perfect thing to put on my deck. Uh, unfortunately, we, it runs into the, hey, I'm on Game Pass. Uh, problem of like, well, I don't want to buy a copy if I don't have to, but then I can't play it on my Steam Deck, so it doesn't get played at all.
0: Like, Akarugi did not like the battle system. Beautiful game, completely annoying battle system. It's very kind of puzzle-based in terms of figuring it out. You have to go and try to uh, kill specific enemies and using specific techniques in order to prevent them from acting uh and it is very much kind of a little logic problem every turn and so it can be a little bit much i don't like it as much as octopath travelers battle system for instance but i do like it a lot uh and the actual game at all i did not play star renegades
1: okay i'm just curious if it was anything like that because it sounded like you described where you're like trying to make it so that certain people don't get to take their turns and you kill the guy before they like it's about controlling time similar to the uh what series was that grandia where it was a lot about pushing pushing around people in the turn order.
0: Uh, Grandia has got more of a spatial tactics element to it. I don't know if that's what you mean on that, it's but I, I could be wrong. That it's um, yeah, it, it's more puzzle oriented. And in fact, the game is more puzzle oriented. The environments themselves have almost a action Zelda or Alundra, if you can remember that title, to them of dealing with environmental puzzles and hitting switches and using arrows to hit switches and things like that uh, throughout, Um, which can be a little much if you're trying to relax after a a long day at work, for instance. Uh, But I really enjoy it for how intellectually stimulating it is. Uh, And certainly, as you can see, it's gorgeous to boot with great music. Uh, So it's it's a game I really enjoy. And if you like any of these, it's right alongside with chain decos and and those kinds of games that i've recommended on prior videos so number seven is sea of stars let's see if tom's number seven is any good tom do you remember what your number seven is you can just go with no it's fine
1: i think i do actually yes
0: all right tom's number seven is a little known relic that nobody's ever heard of before yeah called diablo Diablo four which, by yeah. the way, doesn't take the greatest screenshots. This game is 100% gorgeous, but mostly it looks sad and gray.
1: It is. It's a thing. depressing place to be. Um, and I think mostly it looks good in motion. Um, you know, I think if you took, like, it's not a screenshotter. Like, you take anyone's screenshots, like, eh. but But um, it, it looks very good as you're playing it. It has a lot of dazzle and effects and stuff. Diablo 4 was an interesting one for me here in that when we played the beta or the the when they were first doing the um the betas i was got very excited about it like very very excited was like that's gonna be awesome and then i played the crap out of it when it first came out and i kind of burned out uh i came back for the first season and wasn't really impressed um and then i came back again for this season and Uh, I don't know if it was just like where I was at the time, I happened to have a lot of uh free time on my hands. I played a bunch of it and really enjoyed it. Um, but I still like go back and forth with how I feel about this one. I don't feel like the end game is particularly strong, um, in my opinion. I I get in like for right, right now, they're running the Christmas event, the uh Blight Winter Blight. Um, and it effectively is, we spawn a bunch of mobs in a public zone and you can go kill them to grind out stuff. And that's the whole event. Um, and like, initially that seems like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then you're like, I like, there's not enough interesting there for me to be like, why am, you know, why am I doing this? Like the, like, I don't know. I can't explain it. Like I played destiny for like 600 hours, uh, or something crazy. And I still I'm trying to get equipment in there that I think will be cool or build defining or interesting. And in Diablo 4, I'm like, my build feels pretty solid. Um, I'm always looking for better stuff, but I rarely find it. Um, I do think that uniques can be build defining, but I've found very few of them and even more of them as dupes. So I don't know what that says. I don't know if there's not that many uniques available or if I'm just getting unlucky or if they're tied to specific things. Um, but I did think that the vampire season, uh, whatever we're in now, Malignant? Season of Blood. Season of Blood. Malignant was the first one. Um, I think. Anyway.
0: Season of Blight.
1: The vampire season is cool, but I like what they did with the vampire powers um, as opposed to what they did with the like special gems or whatever that they had in the first one. Um, they've clearly already made some changes to how their progression works and their loot and their, you know. Uh, They've proven that they're willing to play with the formula. So I think it'll just continue to get better. Um, And there is some interesting build crafting here um, that I think takes a little while to get to. I mean, I think until you hit like Paragon, until you hit the uh, Paragon system, you're not even like in the build crafting yet. And that's what level 60? Uh, 50. 50. So it takes a while to get into that piece. Um, But. You know, once you do, I think there's some interesting meat there. And there can be really interesting if you're willing to, like, spend the time to dig into it. Um, So I recommend it. And I'm not entirely, like, sure. (laughs) It's it's a stirring endorsement, I know.
0: Well, I love Diablo 4. We've talked about that before. Uh, This is one of the first kind of live service games that has really engaged me and i think if you go to my xbox i've played for nine or ten days which is a lot of hours of diablo four and i think you jumped ahead a little bit to talk about the seasons but for folks that don't know diablo is obviously an action rpg franchise it's really the progenitor of all action rpgs from a top-down perspective and you build out a character in a different class to go and fight demons in the world of sanctuary uh and it has a whole big long campaign to start out with and then when you get to the end of that campaign it kind of leads into what the new expansion will be, which comes out at the end of next year. And then because it's a live service game, because it's all built as an open world in a way that kind of Diablo two II and three implies, but never could pull off with the technology at the time. Diablo four then has seasons that have different things happen. I think they're on a three month schedule or so. Um, and the first season was a season of the blight and you could go find hearts to put into your gear that gave you special powers and the idea is that these seasons are separate from the main game campaign so that you can go and have characters there that don't have a bunch of rule busting powers and then you can play different seasons with different power sets that they can kind of practice with and then presumably bring over to what they call their eternal realm the main game at some point and i think they're doing that with some of the blight stuff that they did in season one with rings and things but um that that persists and you can play that with a battle pass and everything else that you're used to from fortnights and other live service games within a predominantly single player environment like diablo four with top of class graphics and sound and like what you can't see from a screenshot is that this is as animated as well as any action rpg i've ever played um and diablo four looks great whatever you're doing i love the build crafting before level 50 so i'm going to not agree with you there which is to say picking and choosing what skills you're going to put on your character regardless of what your class is is still going to offer a lot of different types of, say, a rogue, right? The rogue deals with knives and and bows and arrows and, and subterfuge and things like that. But the skills that you actually pick can create vastly different rogues. And then when you get to the paragon levels, you have different skill trees that actually allow you to pick different superpowers that enhance things like your traps, or your bows and arrows, or your knives, or whatever it might be, and you can put those together in so many different ways. There's probably millions of ways you can build these characters. Now, there's not millions of ways that those characters can be successful, but there are at least a few different ways that any given character can get to a place where they can survive higher power content. Uh, And so all of that put together with a continuing live service element, which I think to give full credit to Blizzard and Diablo 4, and we'd have to give the disclaimer because Blizzard is now a Microsoft company as Tom's company is, but To give them full credit, they were ready with a season like a month after the game came out. They were ready with a second season at exactly the right time to end the first season. They have a midwinter blight, which is a Christmas festival that I will admit is really just go kill guys and bring back proof of kills to this one guy and decorate this square in town, which isn't much. But it is something to do and it is not the worst thing in the world. I don't think that we have to criticize it too much when you're already in the middle of a season of content and you have a new season of content coming up in January, but I like Diablo for a lot. And Tom didn't say as part of his story, I don't think uh, that this is another game where he got pretty close to burnout levels, right? We played the betas when they were announced to do the checks for server infrastructure. And I think it's worth noting that the server infrastructure really held on this game, which is not always the case with MMO type games. But we played those, we loved them. Tom got really deeply into it for a period of time and then burned out on it a little while and then didn't enjoy season one and came back really more holistically in season two. Uh, I've stuck with it pretty much since it came out in June. It's my go-to kind of live service game. You always have that one game you're playing that you have a battle pass and that you're otherwise enjoying on a kind of permanent basis. For a long time, that was Destiny for Tom and I. Diablo 4 is mine right now. I also play quite a bit of Fortnite, although I haven't this year, because I feel bad about going into a game like that with my current hand structure and somehow killing everybody accidentally. Uh, But Diablo 4 is a solo, and so I only have myself to blame if I die. Uh, And I thoroughly enjoy it. It is gorgeous, top of class. Um, And Tom's criticisms are unwarranted. And all criticisms of the game are unwarranted. No, no. Ah, uh, there are plenty of things to complain about they They clearly hit the nerf bat a little too hard with their first patch after the game came out. People really rejected that and it got a lot of negative press online. But I think it's deserving of a lot more praise than it usually gets.
1: well, I think um uh, I think <laughs> games that are noisy uh, mean lots of people are playing them. Uh, and I, I think that's something that gets missed sometimes um. Is like people have these passions because people are like super into it and they have you know like we complain the most or we're the most critical of the stuff that we love because we can get into the depth of like it's this this one piece is what's keeping it from being perfect and then there'll be another piece and it doesn't matter um i disagree with you in a number of in a number of areas but um Yeah, I was trying to actually, while you were talking, I was trying to think of what is my live service just like pop in and play it game, and I don't know that I have one. I guess Diablo would be mine since I don't think I have anything else that I'm doing. I'm not a big Fortnite fan.
0: You played Lightfall this year.
1: I did. I did. Every time I've, I loved Destiny, like with a passion, but every time I've tried to re-engage with it since, I don't know, a while ago. I just haven't been able to do. I I play it a little bit. I actually played through Lightfall, but then I just am like, I don't know. Whatever it was that was keeping me in there isn't there anymore. Partially, it was I had a group that played. And so I was doing raid content with people on a semi regular basis and talking about the game with them. And so, case in point, you know, social mix game sticky.
0: Yep, it does. Uh, And I'm glad it made your list, Tom. I think it's a good choice. I wonder if it'll be on my list.
1: It better because you basically talked about it enough.
0: Now I got to warn you folks. Tom's going to accuse me of cheating on this next one. So just as a heads up, he's wrong.
1: Okay. This'll be fun. Oh, yep. That is definitely cheating. I was trying to decide at the very least, you got to put a 2.0 on there. Like, look, okay, fine. That's like saying, all right, I would like to nominate no man's sky.
0: Well, okay, so thing this year. so Phantom Liberty did come out this year, so if you want to call it Phantom Liberty, that's fine, but this deserves a little bit of a discussion, because Cyberpunk 2077, obviously from CD Projekt Red, the makers of Witcher 3, which is one of my favorite games of all time, was not a game that I loved when it first released, right? Um, and... I think it had a lot of problems with the way that it was actually designed and that you were just kind of constantly healing and it didn't feel like you were having an interesting interaction was
1: it, was it because within it was the environments they set up. Elba?
0: Yeah. Well, you got, Idris Elba Significantly you got to not enough
1: Idris Elba in your, in your cyberpunk.
0: There wasn't enough Idris Elba until this year, <laughs> this year fixed the major problem of cyberpunk 2077. Not enough Idris Elba. Yep. All right. I'll now get that. a totally fine amount of Idris Elba um but no cyberpunk 2077 for those that don't know basically redesigned their entire game like on a rules level of how you interact with it so you have now limits on the amount of health items that you can use and you basically rank those up rather than just collect a 100 of them you've changed the economy you've changed the way you get cars you've got apartments you've got a metro rail you've got a lot of the things that were either implied or promised early on in the marketing to make it feel like a living city and the stuff that they added in Phantom Liberty, both on the main quest and the side quest, is much more fleshed out, much more feeling like The Witcher writing. And Cyberpunk on the whole is just a much more enjoyable experience. And I wound up playing through 2.0 and 2.1 this year with their new skill trees and their completely new design combat system, uh, much more than I played it back when it came out. And that's not about bugs or performance or anything like that. It's about it being more fun and engaging and a more interesting world to live in now in 2023 so in my opinion cyberpunk 2077 only came out this year and where i finally found the fun was this year so i know you already included cyberpunk 2077 on your top 10 list tom so you can't That's just true. shake your head at me it was two years ago it was on there or three years ago maybe but it's out this now is our third. great phantom liberty check it out folks
1: okay so i think at best this gets a high honorable mention uh it does not count as a release the game had already released. We don't do expansions. Uh, so, Balderdash and this whole thing gets an asterisk on it now. Anyone who votes for you is basically cheating. I've said my piece.
0: Cyberpunk 2077 2.0 is. Are a we new allowed game. to
1: nominate patches now? Is that a thing? Like, oh man, you really gotta go try and play Skyrim 3.157. They really <laughs> nailed it. <laughs>
0: Uh, If you change your entire rule system, I think maybe we have to reconsider it. Cyberpunk 2077 didn't just tweak things. It didn't change a five to a one. It changed how you approach the entire skill tree, how you build your character and how you engage with its combat.
1: Stellaris does that like every year.
0: Okay. So then they can't be (laughs) eligible every year.
1: No, they can't.
0: (laughs) Okay. So cyberpunk is one of my favorite experiences of the year. And, it deserves to be referenced in this list. I'm very happy that it finally made its way here. I think it's also worth noting that it won a Keeley Award for Best Ongoing Game. So while I think that's ridiculous, I <laughs> want to use it as justification for its inclusion on my list.
1: Solid. Yeah, that's always, we know you've you've dug into the bottom of the barrel when you're like, it won a Keeley. <laughs>
0: I'm just saying it deserves it. And I knew you were going to fight me on this, and I still put it here anyway. That's how strongly I feel about I it. I know.
1: That's why you just cheated straight up. Like, we make rules, and you're just like, I'm going to break them because I really enjoyed this. <laughs> I don't care.
0: From the from the guy that tried to put the Steam Deck on his list last year.
1: Did I? I think yeah. it was still honorable mention. I don't think I tried to put it in my top ten because I'm not a crazy person. <laughs> Top 10 is games that released this year. It's a very simple premise.
0: I could not experience Cyberpunk as I enjoyed it before this year. It released this year.
1: You gave me crap last year about Tactics Ogre, which is a re- which was a full remake. This is a patch and you're like, "It's a new game!" <laughs> I, all I can tell
0: you is that I didn't like the game. This isn't just like, I like it more now. I really didn't like it. I didn't enjoy my time with it before, and I like it now. That's a new release.
1: No, no, it's not. No one is saying that your enjoyment of the game is somehow not allowed. I'm saying that it doesn't go on this list.
0: Well, it, it wasn't eligible for me in 2020. I didn't like it.
1: But that's when it had a shot.
0: <laughs> okay, you put it on I mean, or you didn't. It's my number six game of the year. You can decide how you feel about that when you're voting in the poll at the end of this video, folks. Thank you for your support. Vote for Rick is a vote
1: for lies. (laughs) Uh,
0: uh, And I do want to give credit to the folks that have done such nice things for the (laughs) channel in the last little while. Rainmanyyc, YYC, thank you for the super chat. Ordering Runkle a bottle of scotch for canceling the stream in midstream. I think that's nice. I think he deserves it. He's going to feel bad about that, and I feel bad for him. Uh, Shell, thank you for gifting five Hoag Law memberships and then five more. I really appreciate all of those memberships. That's really very helpful to the channel. Thank you so much. And thank you to Ash Axiom for also gifting a Hoaglaw membership. Very appreciative of everybody that helped support the channel and make this all possible. I love having these conversations. I love getting to talk to Tom, even when he's wrong about when Cyberpunk 2077 2.0 released. All right. Just
1: call it, just call it Cyberpunk 2. <laughs> just put a number on that, guys. All right. So yeah, we talked about Dave the Diver. Uh Rick gave right. a, a pretty good synopsis of what the game is. Um yeah, this one kind of hit me out of left field. Was wasn't looking forward to it or, or, or knew anything about it, but um it's a very weird eclectic collection of really cool stuff. Um, You run a sushi restaurant, so there's stabbing and then there's like a diner dash level of like trying to get the orders to people and then you're, between those you're diving into the undersea to collect ingredients, which is like somewhere between Echo the Dolphin and, I don't know, Metroid Uh, in terms of like you have this, you're going down there and and you're constantly refining your equipment and getting better stuff and it's all this over-the-top anime different thing, like every time you research a new recipe it plays like the the sushi chef is like a samurai, Um, and it's just it's it's fun. Uh, You don't know where it's going, (laughs) Um, and so that's very exciting. Uh, It's constantly like, hey, here's a new mechanic. Did you want to raise fish? Sure, here you go. Uh, And they just kind of like keep doing that as long as I've played it, which is I think at least that's the real
0: joy of Dave the Diver. I think my wife asked me why do I like it so much, and I said I think it's really you never know what's coming the next day
1: it's not and it's it's fast like you'll do one or two days of like oh just getting the ingredients run in the sushi shop and then you're like here's a whole other thing you have to deal with and it's like oh okay uh very good very fun uh, i this is what this is a funny one because i'm going to say it plays great on deck i actually hadn't played this not on the deck until like yesterday i had never loaded it on my computer because it is it is so like it feels so right there in terms of everything um for the record it, despite so- my
0: brother's switchism it does play great on switch
1: i'll believe you
0: it just has a slightly longer load on the various areas but once I'm in sure it's trailer
1: it and, and not as sharp and stuff but that's fine
0: <laughs> it doesn't really hitch
1: um no i'm just being a, a b uh so yeah state the diver super fun you won't you won't see what's coming. You won't expect it. It's got a lot of different fun bits to deal with. Um, I highly recommend it. I think it's just a, a standout, like, fun, uh, what's the, uh, like, novel experience, which is not Dave the Diver I is say. a
0: great game. Well, you already saw it on my list. It's higher ranked on Tom's list. Uh, he didn't even rank Cyberpunk, but... He yeah, loves Save the not, Diver. It didn't I, release
1: this year. That's why I, didn't I break can't it. fight that. <laughs> You're right now. We're, wrong. <laughs> now
0: we're now we're going to get into it, folks, because we're going to order some of people's absolute favorites. And so if you see a game that you love come up earlier than you think it should. My apologies. These games are all essentially generational type games, uh, but they all came out in one year. So we got to put them in order. That's the job. All right, number five, Baldur's Gate 3. So let's talk about Baldur's Gate. Obviously, the winner of the Game of the Year award from Jeff Keighley. Uh, He's a big fan of the game. It's very, very cool. I have Lawyers and Dragons here on the channel, and this is a Larian-made RPG. So it's like Divinity Original Sin, but in Dungeons and Dragons, in Faerun, the Forgotten Realms, with Baldur's Gate and all those fantastic classic areas and monsters and things to fight uh but it really does represent video games best attempt at bringing the tabletop role-playing experience to life in a digital landscape so it's got all these options for how you can progress your characters all these options for how you can progress the story seemingly responsive to everything you could possibly want to do throughout act one and two at least i haven't gotten to the end of act three uh but um it's It's a great game. I had to put it at fifth because I didn't engage with it as much as the games that came before it, right? So I love Baldur's Gate 3. I've enjoyed it. The combat, I think, is a little bit clunky. I think because Dungeons & Dragons is a little bit clunky for combat, I think they have realized Dungeons & Dragons the best any video game ever has. Uh, But I don't think that's the best a video game can be at these things. And so I actually prefer Original Sin more than the dungeons and dragons experience here uh and i think that the characters are great i think all of the stuff that goes into a game like this is super high quality and high production level for this game but i just like some of the other entries a little bit more so folks i know you're already going to react to this being number five.
1: Oh, it's already um, happening.
0: oh it has
1: it is happening while well, i was
0: saying my like <laughs> opening paragraph Uh, I deserve better than number five on speak with animals alone. Yes. So if folks haven't played this, all of the craziness you think about in Dungeons and Dragons, speak with the dad, speak with animals, all this stuff is incorporated into this game. So it has just layers upon layers upon layers of interactivity and things you can go and find in the environments in Baldur's Gate three, just like you're playing a tabletop RPG with an actual person to try to figure out what it is that you're doing. You've seen me play lawyers and dragons. You've seen how David tries to deal the crazy lawyers asking to befriend the owl that happens to speak in various languages and all the things that a actual GM has to deal with the game mostly accommodates everything that you want to do, not entirely, but mostly. And so Baldur's gate three is an excellent game. It's just that I like the other four games better. So bomb <laughs> um, Baldur's gate three, any good?
1: <laughs> nah. No, uh, you'll see it on my list.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> It's going to be on that... Tom's list.
1: Yeah, yeah. All I right, I like this. Then, I one more praise it than I
0: deserved, especially with the state of the final act on release. It's because nobody has seen the final act. I mean, I know that that's not the case. I'm hyperbolizing for rhetorical effect, but it's because it's an enormous game. And I've played through act one like seven times because you can just go in a hundred different ways. And every single time I land on that beach, I think, oh, I've seen everything on this beach. And then something else (laughs) happens. And I go through another whole like story arc that I didn't know was there. And I say, how could I miss this? It's just sitting right there. And that's happened a bunch of times. And I have to stop playing act one. Help me stop playing act one, Pokeroots. I I have uh... to get to the end of this
1: game. I had, like, had that discussion literally today talking about Baldur's Gate 3 with someone who was like, you can just start Act 1 again. And it's just like, oh, why did I never see this before? <laughs> like, I felt like I really scoured it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, no, What'll Baldur's Gate like- 3 uh, is phenomenal. It is, I think, as close as we can get to realizing the pen and paper experience without like AI game masters which I'm sure are coming, but like in terms of the game's ability to anticipate and react to everything you could imagine doing or trying to do, it succeeds. Um, And I'm not a person who has a strong, I I I haven't played a lot of pen and paper, to be perfectly honest. My experience in Dungeons & Dragons is primarily digital, starting with maybe arguably like the Baldur's Gate series, but really for me, like the Neverwinter Nights series being like when I learned how Dungeons and Dragons worked and how its systems worked and stuff like that. So <clears throat> I, that, that's the best thing I can say about it is I think it's it's probably as close as we can get to the pen and paper experience without a live human or AI construct running things that can react to the player doing unexpected stuff.
0: You heard it here first, folks. Tom working on AI constructs to GM games.
1: I don't know. I'm not working on it. It's coming. I did read an article about someone who had a chat GPT GM a game for them, and it's like it worked pretty well.
0: You need to ask it very specifically how to set it up, but, yeah, I think it would. I know you enjoyed talking to AI Hogue. That didn't freak you out at all.
1: Nope. it's not weird. <laughs>
0: All right, so what comes just before Dave the Diver, Tom? You know what your number five is?
1: I don't. Okay.
0: Starfield makes an appearance for my brother, Tom. So as, recall, I expressed,
1: as I expressed when Rick brought the game up, uh, I was drawn in and thoroughly engaged by it um i just got pulled into like i loved exploring the first city that you're in and and all the different like little subplots that are going on there um i really enjoyed the opening uh i really enjoy the theme of space exploration i like the lo-fi tech that they've gone with um i think that uh yeah, it's it's another one that I, I I think I burned out on a little bit to be perfectly honest, and some of the pieces just didn't come together the way that I wanted them to. Um, I think it's a it's, little clunky. It's it's but yeah, I think it's like the right. I, sorry, give me a second. But I can say that it really grabbed me. Um, I'm interested in finishing it, but I haven't yet. Um, and each time I kind of go to do it, I move the ball a little bit, and then I'm like, eh, I want to go play something else. Um, but that's that's probably a me thing. Uh, if my game playing stats show anything, it's basically that I'm I'm a big tourist. I'm all over the place. I just play whatever's interesting to me at the time, and I finish almost nothing.
0: We generally both have shiny bauble problem with the uh, video games, and certainly the sequence of releases was like Baldur's Gate, Starfield, Cyberpunk 2.0, like within a month of each other.
1: Can you highlight honk bananas just response right now? Because I want to say like, I feel very similarly. I tried to get it like the main plot. I think at least as far as I've played, it is incredibly weak. Like it's, it's touch things and get powers for as long as I've been playing it.
0: Um, Go find space rocks. I I agree that the driver is not there. There is not a primary impetus to start the drama. It's really more here, sit in a world pretty fun one of the things yeah, i talked about stories on the BitCast, around
1: it are kind of interesting and the politics of the you know the war and how that went or the crimson fleet and their whole thing like there's lots of interesting pieces there the and and you could leverage this at a lot of Bethesda rpgs the main plot is not the strongest one
0: right and i think it gets a little bit stronger i agree with you completely i think i said on the bitcast the other day that i couldn't tell you if you paid me money what the plot of Skyrim is. What I remember of Skyrim was going into a cave and having a little story told to me about an artifact that was stolen and finding it in a shop and those kinds of things. And that all feeling like a living environment um, rather than shouting at dragons or whatever it was I was supposed to be doing. And I think Starfield has some of that, some of that problem where the faction quests are stronger and the sub quests are stronger, the world quests are stronger uh, and I think the biggest problem it has is it doesn't have that moment at the top of Skyrim that has you attacked by a dragon and trying to figure out what's going on. Starfield is a lot more, like, as this describes. You touched a rock. Good luck. Have fun. And there's fun to be had out there, but you have to be a little bit self-motivated. It's a little slow burn.
1: That's true. That's true. I Yeah, it's... What did you say, I think, in your review? It was like, Starfield will give you what you put into it. Um, it did. So that that's definitely true like there's a lot there but it's not it doesn't hold your hand it doesn't sort of freely give it to you it's like go find stuff to do and that stuff will be interesting and you'll find cool things but it doesn't guide you around and the the main plot doesn't serve as a strong like it doesn't even serve as a oh we're going to take you to this place and you're going to learn about it and the, like it's just like no you're going to go to like a random moon that has nothing on it except for this thing and then you're going to come back and at least that's as much as i've done maybe it gets better
0: there's more of those but it does get better
1: but i i love the characters i loved meeting constellation i love side characters that i've talked to like i think there's a ton of really great st- like narrative in there it's just like i haven't hit the point where the the narrative drives me i've also heard new game plus does something really cool like everyone says it even the even the people that are like oh, i don't like it but new game plus was a really cool idea and it's like I would love to watch see it, chat.
0: Don't tell him what Starfield New Game Plus is.
1: <laughs> okay, now I'm just like not looking at that side of the screen. It'll eventually. There you go. go just away. avoid
0: them. That's what I do. <laughs> That's what I do when I'm talking law. It's just like, oh no, oh 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 no, they're mad at me. No, I'm just I'm just joking. All but, right. Uh, yeah, oh. I
1: need to. I need to jump back into Starfield because I really was enjoying it for a long time. I really am into the ship building. I want you to know, by the
0: way, the fact that we both have Starfield on our top tens of the year has marked us as X-bots who don't believe in anything Sony ever does and only vote for Microsoft on everything because we determine our entire self-worth and identities by the plastic boxes under our TVs.
1: I'm trying to think of what the Sony exclusive, I mean, like we both said, we weren't going to talk about Spider-Man 2, but like, I I don't, I mean, so they released Spider-Man
0: 2 and Burning Shores for Forbidden West. That was their year. Okay. Shrug emoji. Tom says shrug, shrug emoji.
1: emoji. Put it on the back of the box. So um, yeah, I need to get back into Starfield. I think there's fun there. Oh, I was going to sing. I just like, I love the ship building. I really want to get into that. I don't actually know why there are outposts. Uh, it seems like building the ship. They're supposed to be like
0: outposts. Half the stuff a- in Starfield is because we think it should be there, right? Like it doesn't, neatly nest into the overall flow of the game. That's where the clunkiness comes from.
1: Yeah, I think that's right.
0: All right. Number four on my list, folks, what's it going to be? The legend of Zelda tears of the kingdom. And this was a game. I really honestly thought might be my number one game of the year for a long time. This, this year, and I know Tom has forsaken all Switch games because they can't be as glorious as things like Biopharmacist or whatever.
1: But you can't even remember the name, you don't get to mock it.
0: Bioprototype. Uh, but The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild was a phenomenal reinvention of Zelda, and I loved it to death. It was one of my favorite games of that year. And now Tears of the Kingdom reinvents that reinvention to add in all sorts of building components and interesting things on top of Breath of the Wild already doing open world and Princess Mononoke naturalism within a Zelda environment so well. And I can't speak highly enough about it. The only downside I really have with this game is that some of the building stuff gets a little sloppy. I don't love that sloppiness. We talked about it with respect to Talos principle, but some of the puzzles get a little bit more physics-based. You're solving things like pinball and whatnot, and it's a little bit wonky the way certain things like the flippers will react because it's all physically rendered and things like that and i don't love those kinds of puzzles within dungeon games and i do miss some of the linear dungeons of the earlier zeldas but those weren't in breath of the wild either tears of the kingdom is a tremendous evolution of what breath of the wild was when it would have been the easiest thing in the world to essentially make the second one of those and instead zelda does a new thing and i can't speak highly enough about Nintendo continuing to reinvent itself and one of its biggest properties in Zelda. I had so much fun with it, and it continues every time you pop into the world of Hyrule in Tears of the Kingdom to surprise and delight, which I think is always something that I'm looking for in video games, and it's always nice to see. Tom, how much Tears of the Kingdom did you play?
1: (laughs) None. I like to think that it's not like some sort of uh, graphics elitism or something, and certainly I would... Love it if it was on a more capable system. But I've tried to play through Breath of the Wild on multiple times and just like have not engaged with it. I I try. I see the bits that are interesting and fun, but it just like, I don't know. I I play it for a little bit, and then I fall off.
0: Well, I mean, look, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong to not enjoy something like Breath of the Wild. All I'm going to say is that you like survival crafters, you like Zelda, you like open worlds. I think if you got over some of your graphic snobbery, you would have something that you would really enjoy there.
1: I'm just, I don't, I don't think it's, I'm, I mean, I'm not positive. I don't think it's snobbery that's uh, turning me off to it. Okay. Again, I would prefer uh, it on a more capable system. But.
0: <laughs> well, I think you're going to get one sooner rather than later. But uh, Tears of the Kingdom, folks. Don't listen to my brother. My list is better. Legend of Zelda: Tears of the Kingdom, fantastic game. All right, Tom, what's better than Starfield?
1: Uh, I I can't say because I know the top four, but I don't remember their order. So I think I know this one. Yeah,
0: cool. Oh right. no, we we both have Baldur's Gate three outside the top three. We are the worst people on the internet, folks. Please do <laughs> share around. Let folks know that they can see the worst people on the internet on the Hoglaw YouTube channel as long as hey, they like or dislike the video. <laughs> yes. The worst people on the internet. We're all here.
1: Baldur's Gate 3 is at my number four, I think, primarily because yeah. I could... like. It, there's just only so much time that it is possible to play things. And Baldur's Gate 3, Cyberpunk 2.0, and Starfield all came out Within very close proximity of one another, and decisions had to be made. And in my case, Starfield was the one that grabbed me. Baldur's Gate 3 on paper is like, looks right up my alley. It is, admittedly, in my opinion, very narratively dense. Um, It's a little hard to like push into initially. Um, and I think that's been some of my rejection. So I've started Act 1 a few times. I think technically, if you include Early Access, I have like four or five characters that have started the game, but have never gotten, I think, past the first area. Um, I think it does a lot of stuff really well. I think it's, it's really interesting. It's just that there's a lot to dig into. Um, and that I find that, I don't know, I guess I need my game time to be relatively economical. And... If, and I'm a, I'm a weirdo and that I don't consider just sitting down, having five conversations, and then shutting off. Satisfying. I need to have hit something. Or, I don't know, some sort of action of some kind. I can't explain it.
0: I but, am a narrative-driven player, certainly.
1: But, uh, I mean, Although it seems really cool. I started I pushing really hard on a new playthrough. Um, and I'm hopeful that I can continue to push through it. Um, I, and, and, well, like, like the positive things that I said before, clearly the best adaptation of Dungeons and Dragons pen and paper we'll probably ever see, um, unless Dungeons and Dragons chooses to like more change their rules to better match a digital format, which you could argue they've done in the past. And you could argue actually fifth edition is kind of, um, so Anyway, it's oh, also, it's a beautiful game. There's so much production in this in terms of, like, every character conversation is animated. Every character from, like, the lowest to the highest has a backstory that's interesting and wants you to explore. And if you talk to their cat, they'll tell you their secrets, and then you can use that to solve the quest. And you're like, how wh- how did you, like, how much is in here? Um, like, there's just a, a damn near... Um, It feels like there's like an infinite number of ways to go through just even that first area. And from what I understand, it actually constrains down a little bit from there in terms of like you've kind of made your decisions and then you're on paths. I could be wrong, I don't know, uh, because I've never gotten there. But ultimately, it's an incredible game. Um, It's one that I want to spend more time on. I just have to prioritize. (laughs)
0: Uh, This was the year of massive RPGs, certainly. I mean, just your, just yours alone here, Starfield and ballers Gate 3 next to each other is hundreds of hours, right?
1: Well, I've probably played Starfield for at least 100 hours.
0: Yeah. And my number four, Tears of the Kingdom, is, I think I've got 90 in. Um, so, I mean, I think this is just a year where you couldn't play everything to completion, played all to the end, especially if you're like me and spending days in sanctuary (laughs) i can hit these in the right order folks i'm not going to cancel the stream i can tell you that uh so my number three (laughs) as you can probably tell now
1: everybody watch
0: (laughs) as you can probably tell from my commentary on tom's number seven is diablo 4 i love diablo 4 i think this game is one of the best action RPGs I've ever played. And people said, well, it's not as good as Path of Exile, or it's not as good as X, Y, or Z. And to me, some important bit of an action RPG, because we're not asking a lot of it from an over-the-shoulder or first-person perspective or anything like that, is the animation, is how it all holds together as a world. And Diablo 4, to me, is the realization of a dream, really, which are the pre-rendered shots on the Diablo 2 box. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, Diablo 2 was a massive graphical leap from Diablo 1, but the actual art on its box portrayed this isometric world of deserts and jungles that we hadn't seen in Diablo 1 in fine detail, and it was always something that I imagined playing, and it never quite looked that good when you played Diablo 2 itself. I love Diablo 2. I think it's the pinnacle of the series. But Diablo 4, when I actually saw it in motion for the first time playing the betas this year, Looked to me like the Diablo 2 box art in motion. And it was absolutely incredible. And then you add on some of my favorite build crafting of characters to that. And even though I don't adore the story of the campaign, uh, I still found it to be compelling. And I think it'll be even better when they actually release the expansions they're planning to release. And I'm happy to say that that's next year. And I'm happy to say that the seasons have been compelling. I know Tom didn't like season one. I played throughout all of season one. I then joined season two. I've not dropped this game in the same fashion that I've dropped so many other live service games before it. So I don't know when that will change. I keep going to play Diablo 4 and thinking maybe this is the time where I'll just be bored by it and I'll be done with it like Tom was. But even when I don't feel like playing Diablo 4, we have a rule in the house right now as I've dealt with post-stroke anxiety and various things in my real life. It says, just remind me to play Diablo that my wife will come in and say, go play Diablo. And then I'll say, I don't feel like it. I don't think that'll work uh, this time. And by the time I'm in for 10 minutes, I'm having a session of Diablo and I get done. And I say, that was the right call. And that's happened multiple times this year. So not only is this one of my favorite games of the year, it's obviously very special to me in what it's represented in both my progress and recovery and the interactions that I've had with it. I say to my wife, I've said to people, it takes up my whole brain, right? There's a lot going on in there this year. And Diablo 4 has so much to think about with how I'm going to build my character and where I'm going to go next and what I'm going to do next that it takes up the whole space that I operate in and I love it to death. I want to see it succeed. I'm so happy that its live service element is working so well because I really have something new to see every single time I turn the game on. So it's my number three game of the year. And if you think that sounds like a number one, it's because it's number one on various days of the year, depending on what I'm playing and what I'm into. But it's number three on the overall list because it's just that good so Diablo 4 folks play it
1: <laughs> this little known this little known title check it out it's worth your time
0: it's worth your time Tom did I miss anything
1: uh no I I it's funny because I have the exact opposite reaction when I play Diablo but I don't want to take that away from you <laughs> which is why did I do that I could have done something else. What did I achieve there?
0: <laughs> that sounds but, like your 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 late days Destiny gaming. Uh, you used to describe your Destiny gaming in the later days as I don't know what I'm doing. I should go play something that I'm enjoying.
1: Yeah, it's not like I didn't. It's like, I don't know. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, your top three better be something real special, Tom.
1: Oh, oh god, I love
0: Remnant. Remnant two.
1: Yeah, Rick said this wasn't on his list like a crazy person. Uh so Remnant one just kind of surprised me uh out of the box. Like I didn't really know about it. I found out about it about a month before it released. I hadn't played Darksiders three, so I wasn't super familiar with um Gunfire. Gunfire. Um, who made Remnant, Remnant 2, II, Darksiders 3? I think appear to be just really great um remnant 2 loved it played the hell out of it just as soon as it came out haven't played what is it oh it's uh it's sort of like a third person shooter souls like um so it's crushingly difficult um and it's primarily focused on ranged combat though you do have a melee weapon that you can use and melee builds as i understand it are viable but still there's a lot of things you have to hit with a gun
0: um, it's so like in that it's difficult, but it's procedurally generated, like a Diablo or something.
1: Um, I yes and no. I mean, it it is and it is. It, it, yes, it is procedurally generated, like an old school Diablo, in that there are set pieces that are kind of smashed together with non-set uh, piece, like for, for more generic chunks. Um, I mean, I don't, I'm sure someone who worked on it could come on and talk to me about exactly how the procedural generation works. I don't know, but I do know that it has like set pieces that you will see time and time again, and then probably randomized pieces of, of, of like alleyways and stuff that could be not randomized. And my brain would not know it because it's they're not, they're non-descript. Like, yeah, there's a, there's a thing up there and and then walk down here. Um, But so Remnant 2 is a third-person shooter. Um, probably what Remnant, I'd say, is most well-known for is its secrets, um, in that much of the game is about finding the stuff that they've hidden away somehow. Um, in one of the big things in the first game was um, what they called alternate kills, um, which was any of the world bosses in that game could be killed in a special way um and that would get you different equipment so all the stuff that you're finding basically or the the really strong stuff is coming from bosses you get some piece of uh loot from them and then you go back to base and you can turn it into a gun or a sword or a piece of armor or whatever can you make armor out of them i don't think you make armor out of
0: a completely pointless sword that won't help you at all but good luck to you because everything looks
1: looks cool also there's like there's like a, you get like a spear that you can throw and then appears right back in your hand. Like there's just, they, they have a lot of fun with the stuff that they do. The secrets are very interesting. Um, I do think that uh, Rick's point about the story here is valid. I think the story from Remnant one is stronger, um, sort of describing the dreamers and how everything gets put together. Uh, Remnant two in an attempt to make it so you could literally encounter any of the worlds in any order ultimately has to tell a less um, cogent story. Uh, it, it, it has to somehow deal with the fact that like we don't know what world you're on or what information you're getting right now, so it has to fit regardless of that. But what does hap- what they do do well in that is that the world stories are great. The stories of the different worlds and what's going on in them and how you get there uh, and how they got to there and then what you're there doing and how you're affecting them is great. Uh, but I would say that the linear like narrative of Remnant one is stronger. Uh, but what Remnant 2 doesn't have in that case, it makes up for it in terms of, you know, lots more things to find, the archetype class system, which lets you really create interesting builds um, around very specific mechanics, tons of secrets to find which are arguably unfair. <laughs> in a lot of ways, of especially them. the especially some of them that were like, literally that's there for data miners to locate. Um, but it's, oh, I guess the other thing I should say is it's so imaginative. That's part of the reason why I love it. Going to these alternate worlds with these plot, with these different plot lines and how the root has affected them and how these worlds all tie together um, is, it's just, I want to learn all about it. That's that's why I get drawn in. Is I'm like, all right, Nehrud, like, what is your thing? Like, what's going on here? Okay. Um, yeah, or- I mean, it's
0: a game that can incorporate an alien spacecraft at the end of time, as well as fairies and elves fighting for blood racism, like in the same game. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's interdimensional travel. And so they can do whatever they want within the worlds themselves. And that also allows for a lot of expandability. So I think the first DLC tacked on to one of the worlds in a, in a good way. And it also means that because they like writing about this stuff, each of the things you find has a little bit of backstory about whatever world you found it in or what it relates to. And so you get a lot of this storytelling about the worlds themselves. I don't find it terribly compelling on the macro, as you say, And I think it is because they don't know the order that you're going to hit things in because they wanted it to be that random. But uh, I think within those worlds and the writing within them, it's very compelling. So I also think there's a lot of themes to take out of it because the worlds also have certain commonalities with what story they're telling and how they came to be that I think provides an interesting kind of metal layer to what's happening within the world of Remnant. But it isn't its strongest aspect, certainly.
1: Yeah, I, I just, I find that the, the world building in both these games is so fascinating to me. One of the worlds that you go to in Remnant 1 uh, effectively is a, a post-apocalyptic wasteland. And if you pay attention to the story, the reason for that is basically the Root tried to invade and the leadership nuked the entire planet. So that's why there's no Root on that planet. Like They effectively stopped it, but by... Completely obliterating their society, and then now they're dealing with the repercussions of that. And it's 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 there. Like you can see those pieces; those underpinnings are all over the different quests that you're doing, the different bits of lore that you get, and the different items that you find there. It's just, I I love that. It's sort of like Dave the Diver, but with you know, uh, world is like I don't know what I'm going to see next. I can't wait. Um, I think just, there
0: is that there. I think the combat is not for me. It's maybe a little bit too hard or too twitchy. And certainly with my current twitch abilities right this second. Um, and I guess this chat asks an interesting question. Did you play with a buddy or did you play by yourself? No,
1: nope, I've only ever played remnant solo. I think I tried to play it online with someone one time um i basically only have rick that i play with for the most part so if he's not into it i'm playing it solo
0: yeah and and remnant i if i understand the mechanisms correctly it is an a straight up easier game with a buddy because they have the recovery options
1: yeah yeah i mean anything with co-op is gonna instantly as soon as you get to the revive you've you've got like an instant power boost and yeah, just so I mean, <laughs>
0: it's one that I've bounced into a couple of times, uh, and I'll probably do so again because I like aspects of it and I want to explore more of it. But it's uh, not as compelling as some of the other games on my list. And ultimately, one of the things that happens with like my Xbox where I play Diablo is that all these things are on the front menu. And most of the time, I'll just hit the Diablo button.
1: <laughs> so I think I'm going to go play Remnant 2 after we get done here.
0: There you go. I convinced See? myself. All right. Well, you should. I'm probably going <laughs> to go to sleep that Phantom after we're Brigade, done here. I'm
1: not sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, hey, Remnant 2 is a good choice. A lot of people really love it. I mean, it's not as good as my games, but that's okay. Folks are going to speak on that at the end of this. All right. So, Tom's number 3 was Remnant 2. And my number 2 is Final Fantasy 16. Folks, this is the biggest surprise on my entire list, insofar as I thought Final Fantasy 16 was essentially a waste of a space for Final Fantasy. I love Final Fantasy, as folks know. I think it's on my bingo card for things I reference in my various episodes on the channel. But Final Fantasy 16 was the first Final Fantasy to be an action game and not a turn based role playing game. And so I was not looking forward to it much at all, except what it did was have the most compelling story of anything I played this year. And it was compelling for 50 hours plus. And while I don't love where it went narratively, I prefer the first half of the game to the second half. I still was compelled throughout by awesome visuals, great music, and fun gameplay, even though I personally would have preferred a turn-based approach. And so if you're interested in Japanese role-playing melodrama, high stakes, and gods fighting for the fate of mankind, I recommend Final Fantasy 16 as the best... Japanese role-playing game and best linear role-playing game that I played this year. Tom, it didn't even make your list. It was on your honorable mention, so we know that. What's wrong with yeah,
1: it? Yeah, I um, I think that I, I didn't get far enough in the narrative to really say like, oh yeah, it's, it's, it's the best, but it seemed very intriguing and something that I wanted to do. Honestly, I think if it had had the Final Fantasy VII remake battle system instead of what they decided to go with, It would be an easy it would easily have made my list like i think that i just prefer that um more sort of turn-based active time party running as opposed to i don't know devil may cry um but that's not to say that what what's there is really enjoyable i do think it's what you're saying which is like there's a really interesting plot here of you know what do you do with people that are these like are effectively these massive weapons of destruction like how, how do you deal with that What does that effect, how does that affect your political landscape um how do those yes, people a human being with...
0: is an atomic weapon what happens right what does and, the and, politics and, look and like how does
1: the human being feel about that how does how do they deal with that um is very fascinating uh i think the gameplay is surprisingly good um for but i i think i still would have preferred something else
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't love that they went with action. I prefer the hybrid approach of the Final Fantasy Remake project. I think this game would have been even better if they had figured out a way to implement that into Final Fantasy 16. And I wouldn't do some of the stuff in the second half of the game. I told you no spoilers, so we're not going to talk about it. Uh, but I did do a spoiler cast with Last Stand Media that you can check out on Final Fantasy 16 If you're interested and you've already completed the game, I do recommend completing it first, where I do criticize some of the aspects of the narrative that I still love. I think one of the things you said earlier in this video, Tom was that, or it might've been on the part one of the video was that we criticize what we love the most, right? We, we go in and we figure out why we like it and what we could improve or what we would change about it. Uh, and final fantasy 16 is one of those where I was super surprised by how much I enjoyed the storytelling and how much I liked the game itself. Uh, and it was always going to be very high on this list for me uh, because it is the most compelling or one of the most compelling stories that I played this year. With that said, let's see what Tom's number two is because we know it's wrong. Armored Core 6 because Tom loves mechs as much as he loves graphics.
1: I did explain that I love mechs, right?
0: You did say uh, that.
1: And I love Armored Core. And this game is phenomenal. If you like doing general mech craft, kind of like figuring out what parts to use and what weapons, like, uh, amazing. It's got a probably one of the more digestible stories of the Armored Core series, I'd say, and that I actually understood what was happening. Um, but just honestly, just the gameplay itself, what you're seeing right here is the the mechs can fly for short periods of time. So there's a there's a whole like extra layer. You're not just walking around. It's another one where you're skating a lot, um, which I would say is not traditionally armored core, but 100% is armored core six, um, and it's just phenomenal. It has a relatively I'd say high-ish difficulty curve, um, and that's I think from soft just can't get away from that at this point um but it is beautiful i think that there's a hundred ways to play it based on how how you like to build your mechs and what your play style is for instance i'm kind of weird and divisive and as soon as i saw that there were swords and reviewers were coming out and saying the swords were so great and they're so powerful i refused to use them i would not use a single i used a a melee weapon once in a while just to try it out as i got new ones be like ah, what's that but no my mech was this like relatively swift thing with a shotgun and a, like a submachine gun or something that could basically? So it uses a stagger system. So you'd hit them with these things until they stagger, and then I had two enormous cannons on the back of my uh, thing that would pop out and shoot them and do like just outrageous amounts of damage. Couldn't hit a damn thing with them if you tried to while they were moving. So you'd stagger them and then just like it would kill anything. Um, so fun. I. I love this. I still have to play more of it because I'm in new game plus now, and there's different ways you can resolve different events. And in fact, I think there's even, uh, uh, like design. Um, I think there's Hold even. On. stuff.
0: Hold on. I have, I have your two enormous cannons pictured. Hang on one second. <laughs> two enormous <sighs> cannons.
1: Yep. That's, that's what they, that's what I'm known for. um, they uh sorry i'm i'm watching the chat cuz they're all talking about different uh armor core builds and i need to not do that <laughs> um i think there's new content even when you hit new game plus that like didn't exist in your first run where suddenly you're getting offers to do things that you couldn't before um because you're coming in with a stronger mech than you had at that time in the first run uh but just love it i have one Complaint, or 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 one thing that I would leverage at them, which is the first boss fight of the game, is insanely difficult for where you are. I was
0: going to ask my my follow up question to your announcement of Armored Core Six was going to be: Imagine there was someone that couldn't get past the tutorial boss. What would you tell them about this game?
1: I, it's a, it's a mistake. Um, they they the the first level the uh the tutorial should make you feel powerful should show you, like, what it's like to be bad, like, good, like, to be a, whatever, badass. And um, they screw that up, frankly. They give you a mech that's not terribly powerful, and they put you up against a boss that is very powerful before you know most of the mechanics, especially the ones that you need to know to beat that boss, and are just like, figure it out whereas they should have given you an incredibly overpowered mech that would let you eviscerate that boss and then blow it up. Be like, oh, you, get, you don't get that mech anymore. But to make you feel like, oh, I see what's happening. Um, and yes, it's the classic FromSoft experience Poke Roots, except in the other FromSofts, you are intended to die. Here, you die and you just have to do it again. It's like that first boss from a Dark Souls, except you have to beat him.
0: Yeah, I don't love that part. And I, I haven't actually gone back to the game since I tried that like six times. So I have to try it some more. I can't actually speak on this one. It seemed interesting. And I watched you play it and it seemed cool, but it does seem a little bit uh, beyond my pay grade, as it were. And I know, get good, son. I understand.
1: It is. No, and and it, I think it's far more forgiving than uh, Dark Souls, but that first boss is is a big mistake, in my opinion. And I, I think a blocker to a lot of people. Because part of Armored Core is you can build your way around your weaknesses. You can make a build that works for you. You can make a build that uh, deals well with the mission that you're trying to do. But that first mission, you don't have that choice. And they decide to put in a, re- a a decent skill challenge at the end of that where you haven't had any of that. You haven't been taught the mechanics. You haven't had a chance to configure your 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 mech. And I, I just think it's a... And like, yeah, if it if you could just bypass that and play the next like five missions. You'd be like, why the hell is that so hard? Like, I don't understand.
0: It did look like you were having fun buying parts and things. I've not gotten to that, you know, like the game.
1: So I think that's, I think that's a big misstep, but otherwise loved the game. I actually really enjoyed the characters and the characterization of the different handlers and, and how your allegiances change and, and who you ultimately end up aligning with and, and how that changes the end of your game. And, the overall story of it in general, I just, ooh, I loved it.
0: I align with the fires. That's fair. Of Rubicon, the fires. Yeah. Are they a faction?
1: Uh, eh, Probably. There's probably someone who's pro-fire.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, Tom, for your inclusion of Armored Core 6. I think it's worthwhile. It almost made my honorable mentions, but I really just haven't played enough of it. You know? Mm-hmm. All right, anybody have any idea what my number one is? Anyone? Because I I gotta tell you, I got I got somebody backing me up that wants to fight. If you don't like my number one, <laughs> that's right. He's here. He's ready. He's the writer of the dark place for thirteen solid years. It's Alan Wake, folks. <laughs> Alan Wake, two. Alan Wake also. And Tom, if you want to fight me on this, he's ready.
1: I can't fight you on it because I don't have enough experience. It's not like I played it and hated it. I didn't play it. Alan
0: Wake is ready. Folks, if you like Resident Evil, if you like uh, X-Files, if you like Twin Peaks, if you like discussions about the act of writing and creation and what it means and what its strengths and weaknesses are, how you can fight your own inner demons as well as external demons, while working through the creative process, all in an excellent game with peak production values, great graphics, awesome art design, sweet music, uh, uh, much of it made custom for the game, uh, then Alan Wake 2 is where you want to be. It is the most compelling story of the year, even more than Final Fantasy 16. It is amazing that one of my top games of all time could have a sequel that almost lives up to that billing. I still think I prefer Alan Wake 1 a little bit more than Alan Wake 2, but Alan Wake 2 has surprises around every corner. It has that aspect that we've talked about now with Dave the Diver, Baldur's Gate 3, Armored Core 6, Remnant 2, about surprise and delight, not knowing what's coming up next, around the corner. Alan Wake 2 will have you compelled from beginning to end, and it's not a short game, folks. So if you like these games, if you like my pick last year of immortality and you just said hey rick where can i find more full motion video discussions of the act of creation and the existence itself Alan wake 2 is where you can find those things please do check them out because Alan wake 2 is the game of the year 2023 and that's why my list is going to be deemed the best
1: okay tom so... can't even talk
0: about it he's speechless he's like it's the obvious winner i don't even have anything to say
1: Oh, I don't Isn't I, that right, I, can't, Tom? I can't say anything about Alan Wake 2. I literally like haven't touched it. Um, I haven't finished Alan Wake 1. Every time I try to finish Alan Wake 1, I fall off of it. I play like the first or second chapter and then I'm done. And it's like I I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm trying. I really am.
0: It's just sad. Um, but also there are episodes in Alan Wake 1.
1: The fair enough. Uh, it seems like chapters wasn't easy. Well, whatever. It I does, know it's doing that it? Twilight Zone. Their thing. <laughs> um or Night Springs or whatever. Uh okay, so my number one is gonna be interesting because it is not a big release.
0: Hold on, we're um, not getting to your number one yet.
1: Oh, what, we're just gonna talk about yours more?
0: Yeah, we gotta talk about mine more. No, I got some super chats to hit, but yeah. For the oh, record, okay. by the way, folks, this is from the video game. This was not made for Twitter. Jeremy Morton out here being very generous to the channel. Happy Hoga Days, he says. Thank you, Jeremy. And I very much appreciate the support of the channel. $50 bucks in Bluey Talk. Uh, thank you so much. And thank you even more for gifting 20 Hogla memberships on the channel. Jeremy Morton, this is so generous of you. Thank you so much. And thank you, Tide, for all the work they've put in all year long to mod the channel for us, to help us work through all of the recovery time for months and months and months when very little was happening on the channel except for BitCasts and the occasional Lawyers and Dragons. Tide was here and making those awesome AI pieces of art that we saw earlier. Thank you so much, Tide, and thank you for the support today. Happy holidays, says Dizguy07, Jose L. Happy holidays to you, Dizguy. Thank you so much, everybody. And now that I've delayed enough, Tom, What's your number one game?
1: So I'm, trying, mean, to, I, we'll I'm trying to. to care. I'm trying to decide if I have to preface this in some way because I do think it's going to be a divisive pick, um, because it is very personal. I think not, and I think it's a fantastic game, and I'll tell you why. But it is not going to be one that appears on a lot of lists. So
0: this was one that almost made it to my uh, honorable mentions, and I just didn't have space for it.
1: Are you going to... All right, there we go. Uh, Age of Wonders 4. So I am probably, I would say, predominantly a strategy gamer, or at least that's my like happiest place. And there's also some nostalgia here in terms of one of my favorite games as a young man was uh, Master of Magic, which, if you don't know it, is Civilization, but with magic. Um, And... I just uh, I started watching. I didn't know Age of Wonders Four was coming out this year. I don't I don't hype things because I get basically anytime I hype something for more than about a month, it turns out to be terrible. Um, and Age of Wonders Four, I, I like. I actually did get in a little early, but I, I did okay. Um, I love. It has a phenomenal faction creation tool and magic system that lets you create just. The fantasy faction of your dreams and play it out on some beautiful world where you're, you know, building cities and conquering other cities and doing diplomacy, like all the things you love in a 4X game combined with a beautiful world, uh, very intriguing uh, faction building system that also the AI does very well. So you, you constantly don't know what different race you're going to meet around the corner. Um, and Basically, it actually has a meta progression layer on a 4X, which is delightful. So you're unlocking new content as you play these individual 4X games. You're building up your Pantheon. Um, If you played Age of Wonder's Planetfall, it's similar to their Galactic Conquest mode that they released later uh, after launch. Um, But basically, the idea that you can tie together a bunch of 4X Experiences and, and make some actual plot there. You could even bring forward factions or characters that you create, and so you'll start to see them in other games that you play. You'll encounter them as as rulers or heroes. Um, it's for oh for those that don't know, <laughs> Age of Wonders Four is like a 4x game um, where you're so 4x meaning civilization, uh, the games where you're basically starting with like a single city or a single planet. And building a huge empire from there, and then Age of Wonders is in a fantasy setting. So, but um, with Age of Wonders four, you can combine basically, uh, I don't like an ethos with a with a race, and the race doesn't really affect anything. So you can make, you know, sorcerer orcs or dark hobbits. Yes, if that's what you want to do. And there's just tons of customization in terms of the races and the leaders that you you can make whatever you want, which I think is honestly one of the most appealing parts of it. But also, the battles occur on a tactical level. Um, And so you're doing like hex-based combat. And what I really like about Age of Wonders 4 is that they manage to make it feel less spiky. you're actually setting up a line, like a battle line, to fight people and shooting over it and stuff. As opposed to in some of the previous titles, especially Planetfall, things would die before they ever got into. Like it was a lot of like picking things off, um, and moving together was a, a a danger because area abilities would basically just uh, wail on you. Here they they managed, I think, to take some of the area strength down and give you a lot more power that has to do with keeping your units close to each other and helping each other. <clears throat> that makes for these huge clashes of these fantasy armies that is just like ugh, super fun i love it right now my uh imperial eagle people are have just started building ironclads which are giant like sand crawler like they look like tanks that uh you can then fight in the fantasy realm with and i can't wait i haven't had a chance to try them out yet but i'm super excited
0: yeah, I like Age of Wonders four. I, I connected more with Age of Wonders three. It was a more traditional linear campaign with like little cutscenes and narrative. And I like what they've tried to do with kind of an emergent campaign with the options that they give and and what you build up out of your story. I've just never had it become as uh, dramatic or compelling as an actually written story campaign. Even though I like like that it could be potentially i i've never had it actually work out that way when i play those but i do think it's gorgeous and i do think there's a lot of fun to be had with making your own races and uh having those interact with each other and i i love age of wonders as a brand so i have no problem with this as your number one i mean obviously allen like two is the best game of the year so it's a little weird that it's not on there but you did say you hadn't played it enough so i think At we all. can all i think we can all be generous about just a blind spot <laughs> in your experience but I think Age of Wonders 4 is a good inclusion. I've talked about this with you. When it came out, I just wasn't in the place to have like high-level thoughts and and essentially math problems thrown at me uh, when this game originally came out. Since then, I've gotten back to some more strategy gaming, some more board gaming, and I'd like to give another try to Age of Wonders 4 because I really want to like it more than I, I have the feelings of it right now. Uh, but I think it's a good choice. It's an excellent game. And I don't think strategy games get enough credit.
1: Yeah. Well, like I said, I'm a huge strategy game fan. I've been in a, a real Forex kick for a while now. So I've been playing a ton of different sort of modern Forex games and even more uh older ones, not like crazy. But um and I keep every time I come back to Age of Wonders four, I'm just like, oh man, that's where it's at. Like that feels like I just want to do this. I want to play that. Um, I just recently did a run through of Endless Space Two. I'm working on a run of Humankind. Um, I am... all times
0: when you could be playing Alan Wake. Come on, Tom.
1: I just I, just, I love strategy. I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> for those of you that need reminders for the poll, here's the winning list: Alan Wake Two at the top.
1: I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm getting drowned. I don't think you need to like play it up too much.
0: The somewhat controversial inclusion of Cyberpunk 2077. Right. Uh, That's what
1: makes his list not valid. You can't vote for an invalid list.
0: Various other games. I think you'll find people can. And my list is perfectly valid. The game that is Cyberpunk right now did not exist before this year. And then Tom's list, which is excellent as much as I give him older brother crap for it. Uh, There's a lot of good stuff here. You can see his love of strategy and strategy gaming Against the Storm, Phantom Brigade, Age of Wonders 4, all strategy titles. Remnant 2, I kind of wish I had a space for, uh, but I love the smaller games that I included on mine, like Dave the Diver and Dead Island 2. So, sorry Remnant 2. Apologies. Uh, I I do love Diablo 4, so that's an obvious win on his list. Uh, Give him credit for that. Starfield also on my list. I think 5 is a little high for it, but Hey, I think one time he called me up and said, I'm, I'm trying to get into both Baldur's Gate and Starfield, but I'm just more of a sci-fi guy. And that's, that's where it's going to land for a lot of folks, right? Baldur's Gate is fantasy, Starfield is sci-fi. And generally speaking, you're going to meld with one of those vibes better than one of the other ones. Uh, and so if you like sci-fi a little bit more, Starfield might be more up your alley. So I think Tom's got a really good list here, and I want to thank him for putting the time and effort in To having a conversation with me all night tonight on multiple streams uh, (laughs) and, and having this conversation and letting me, you know, talk smack while he goes forth with his own opinions on what was the best game of the year. So thank you, Tom, for being here. Thank you for coming once a year. Thank you for being in my life so much this year. I really appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you over the holiday.
1: Sounds good, buddy.
0: So chat. It looks like we're going to finish with about a 70% win for me. That's very nice. I can't take full credit for that. It is my channel. So I think (laughs) only only winning by 40% is probably a loss for whatever you want to account for the difference in (laughs) characterization here. But I really do appreciate the folks that voted for my list. I put a lot of thought into it. Alan Wake is great. Final Fantasy is great. Baldur's Gate is great. Diablo 4 is great. 2023 is great. Nothing bad happened this year, folks. We had a little minor brain surgery at the top of the year. But outside of that, great year. Enjoy it. Enjoy time with friends. Enjoy time with family. Enjoy time with Diablo. Oh, wait, you can't. He's not in Diablo 4. That's right. Diablo, not in Diablo 4. Sorry about that. But enjoy time in Sanctuary and have a great time with video games. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for all of the subscriptions gifted, all the super chats, all of just the likes hanging out with me over the course of two different streams. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Folks, have a great one. Have a great holiday. We'll see you on the next episode of whatever we put up on the Hoaglaw YouTube channel.